Hello, welcome to episode two of Spilling the Beans. We're coming to you this time from the studio at Ground Control. Ground Control is this wonderful, eclectic mix of restaurants, clubs, vinyl stores, bookshops, podcast studio, uh, all sorts of things uh, in the, in the where are we, the 12th arrondissement. Uh, and it has this great vibe going on everywhere, which is bleeding into the podcast studio. So you can probably hear... A little bit of music, maybe, a few sounds in the background. And uh, hopefully that just adds to the feel of the thing. Because, full of feeling it is, we have two great stories for you today. And I've kind of noticed a theme in them. The theme would be children standing up to adults, uh, but in very different ways. So, our first storyteller is Simon Jones. 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 Simon Jones, a friend of mine, actually, a self-described Brit-Australian tour guide who has been misleading innocent tourists around Paris for the last few years. His words, not mine. Here's Simon. Thank you. All right, so picture the scene. It's the early to mid-1980s. Aha, singing Take On Me on the radio. Summer of 69, Brian Adams keeps going on about that. And I'm about 11, 12 years old, something like that. And I'm at school, and we're coming up to uh, half-term holidays, or at least I think it was half-term holidays, whatever, it's some kind of holidays. And I'm with my, uh, my best friend, who I'm going to call Ollie in this story. No, he's real name. And uh, we're, uh, you know, we're looking ahead at our, our vacation and stuff, and I'm, to paint the picture, I'm the kind of kid at school who the teachers know my name, all right? And they know my name not because I'm a star student, <laughs> but because... <laughs> I'm the kind of kid who, I'm not a troublemaker, but I'm always in trouble. So I'm, <laughs> I'm that kid, right? And we're coming up to the, the, the half-term holiday. And it's going to be one week long. And I remember thinking, one week for a vacation? Who takes a vacation for one week? That is way too short for a vacation. You, a vacation needs to be at least two weeks, right? So I think to myself, how can this how can this be longer, right? And I discussed this with my friend Ollie. How can our vacation be longer? So I hatch a plan to extend our school vacation. And the way that I decide that I can extend our school vacation is I decide that I'll blow up the school. <laughs> <laughs> now, I know what you're thinking. That's a stupid idea, and look, it is a stupid idea, right? I'll get that, but you gotta bear in mind, I'm like 11 or 12 years old, and uh, consequences are not a thing that I'm really familiar with, so blowing up the school to get another week of vacation is just, you know, that sounds perfectly reasonable to me. So how is this gonna happen? I know that's what you're thinking, how is this gonna happen? And Ollie is thinking the same thing, and I say, look, I got a plan. So you gotta picture my school. It's there's several buildings, but the biggest building has four floors, and that's like floor one is ground floor. I just learned that that's cool, ground floor. But anyway, so it's got four floors, and you've got like the humanities on level one, then the math, and then two floors of science labs. I don't know why they had two floors of science labs. I should have become a scientist. I think that's what they were trying to say, but, you know, whatever. Um, so those science labs have gas taps on each of the tables, right? <laughs> because you plug in Bunsen burners. Now, this is a long time ago, and probably in schools now, they probably put locks on those gas taps. But 
They did. Back in the day, they didn't. So I was very familiar with these back gas tabs because when I would be in science class and the teacher was like drawing on the, the blackboard or whatever, we would get a lighter and just make flames go across the thing. So we, you know, we knew what these gas tabs were about, right? And I said to Ollie, right, listen, on the final day of school, on Friday, everyone's going to want to get the hell out of school early. All, there's going to be no after school stuff. There's going to be none of that. Everyone's just going to leave, right? And I said, what we're going to do is you and me, we're going to go up to the top two floors, the science labs, and we're going to turn on every single gas tab. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to fill the entire school with gas. <laughs> I'm looking at some of your faces here, and now I'm regretting telling this story. But anyway, <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to fill the whole school with gas. And then I had watched some TV and I knew what would happen. If you fill a building with gas, it, it, it goes bang. And then you get another week's holiday, right? And you're, <laughs> you're a half term. This is very logical to me, very logical. So I said, that's what we're going to do. And so genius. So Friday comes along and uh, we wait. You know, we just hang out a little bit at school. And then everybody goes away. And we start to, uh, we go up and we, we make sure all the windows are closed and we turn on all the gas taps, right? Now, you're thinking to yourself, Simon, gas alone does not go bang. And you're absolutely right. I had learned that and the lighter thing, right? So, but obviously I, I, need, I need an ignition. This is where you're all gonna hate me, by the way. This is <laughs> gonna get dark. <laughs> I need an ignition for this, right? And so, uh, I'm, so there was this cleaner. <laughs> okay, don't look at me like that, right? You're in this with me now, okay? So there's this cleaner. Her name is Mrs. Nice. And at the school, we used to say, Mrs. Nice. Nice by name, not by nature, right? That's what everybody used to say. And Mrs. Nice used to smoke rollies, right? And she was always, like, lighting the rollies with a lighter, right? And we liked this teacher because, the, well, she, this cleaner, sorry. We liked this cleaner because... If you walked on her nice mopped floor, she'd always drop the F-bomb. She'd be like, you fucking little kids like that. She'd, and, we, and that's fizzy language to an 11-year-old. Like, you don't expect that from an adult, just to F-bomb you. So we would, like, walk on the, you know, and she'd be like, fucking little. So we thought, listen, we'll just, Mrs. Nice can be the ignition because she's always lighting the cigarette, right? <laughs> so she's going to clean the humanities floor first, right? Then she's going to get to the math floor. And you've got to think, this is going to take her ages because it's, like, it's, it's a lot of work to do. And then she's going to get to the first science floor, which is full of gas at this point. And she's going to go up there and uh, fucking kids like that. And she's going to light the thing and like that. And then we'll get another week of school holiday, right? This is awesome. Like, this is a totally foolproof plan. So we're doing this. I'm looking at some of the faces here like I'm really shocked. But anyway, we're doing this, right? We're doing this. So we're up there. We're doing all the things. We're closing the windows. It's all working out really well. And we're about to leave. And then I remembered, oh, there's A11, right, which is another classroom on the math floor, which is like an overflow science lab. Like I tell my school, we're really into science. So I said, let's do that one as well. And he was like, yeah, okay. So we went in there and we, we turned on all the gas tabs closed the windows and I was like genius and then we left we left we went home and we thought this is it we're gonna get two weeks it's gonna be amazing that's great uh so Mrs. Nice comes along you know she's lighting and everything and at this point 
I, I can't tell you what happens because I don't know. Because now I'm at home and we're in uh, my friend's front yard and we're doing wheelies and whatever else it is that, you know, you do when you're 11 or 12. And we've forgotten. We've just forgotten that we did this. It's just left our brains <laughs> because we're 11 or 12 years old and we forget everything. We're like, that's gone out of our minds, never to come back. And we're just horsing around in the front. And then I remember my friend Daniel going past the house, like coming around the corner, like at breakneck speed on his bike. And he sees us, jams on his back brake, like this. And he looks at us and we're like, whoa, he's going somewhere really fast. And we're like, what's happening? And he went, the school is on fire. <laughs> so we're like, oh, amazing. So we jump on our bikes and we start riding to the school because, you know, it's on fire. That's incredible. So we get to the school. We come round the corner, and at that point, the gravity of what I had done <laughs> and the consequences that I had not thought about at all dawned on me when I saw more fire engines than I have ever seen in my entire life. Pipes across the road, things going into the school. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> so... Anyway, I remember I'm standing there and there's an ambulance in front of the school. All right, okay, all right. No, no cleaners were harmed in the making of this story. Just <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, shit. And so like, I'm like, what is, why is there an ambulance there? And, uh, and kids, you know, kids, they don't know anything. So but people are just sort of saying, oh, Mrs. Nice is in the ambulance. And my legs are like, oh. Mrs. Nice is in the ambulance. She like blew up, like, and like they're saying that she got blown down a corridor, and and I'm like, what the fuck, like, you know, and I'm like, I'm frightened. I'm like, oh my god, and the ambulance drives off, and uh, and then I remember thinking to myself, this is this is bad, and there's teachers there, and there's police there, and everything, and then I remember the fire chief once came to our school, and he said this thing: if ever a school catches fire or has any kind of fire, the fire investigators stand there and they look at all the kids because one of those kids is the person who started the fire. So I said to my best friend, I said, we need to get the hell out of here <laughs> now because we are not troublemakers, <laughs> but we're always in trouble and they're going to look and be like, those two boys <laughs> probably did this. So. We decide to get the hell out of there. So we leave as quickly as possible, all right? We leave as quickly as possible. And all of those other kids are like sacrificial lambs. We just, <laughs> we, we go, and then we have a half-term break, and then no one phones to say, hey, school is, uh, yeah, we've got to repair the school. Like, that's, uh, you got another week or anything. So, and of course, we go, and after a day or two, we've forgotten everything about it. It just left our heads because we're 11 or 12. And then eventually, it's like time to go back to school. And I remember putting my school uniform on and thinking, well, that was shit. That didn't work at all. Go to school, and things are a little bit different because instead of just class starting normally, they're now having an inter school assembly. So they get all the kids. And there's so many kids, it doesn't, they don't fit in the, the hall. So we have to have an assembly out in a field. And they've set up a stage where the headmaster is and cops. 
And I remember the cops. One of them had like gold on his hat here and gold here. And the other one had silver on his hat and silver here. And I was like, that's like the commissioner. And that other guy is like the chief or something. And I remember they got up and they started to talk and they said, kids, somebody tried to blow up the school. <laughs> and everybody's like, oh my God. And we're like, and we're like, oh my God. Like, you know. And they're like, but we know who did it. We know who did it. So whoever it is among you, you need to come and confess. You need to come to the headmaster's office and confess this crime, and that will be better for you if you do that, right? You'll, it'll just go better for you, because we know which one of you did it. And my friend Ollie is like, oh, crap, look. And, and I'm thinking, wait, no. And he's like looking like he's about to confess. And I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, they know who did it. I'm like, they don't know who did it. If they know who did it, they would, we wouldn't have like a week of vacation. They would have come and arrested us already. They're bluffing. <laughs> so he's like, I'm like, they're totally bluffing, right? And then so the, the cop gets off the stage, and it's very serious. Everybody's very serious, right? And then the headmaster gets up on the stage, and he's like, okay, kids. So Mrs. Nice was mildly injured. Now, I, d <laughs> I don't know how, I got to be honest. I'm not sure if she was blown down the corridor. I'm thinking not. I'm thinking not, but she was mildly injured somehow. I think maybe she twisted her ankle as she was running out of the building to call somebody. I, d I don't know. This part of the story, I don't know. Because kids, they tell a story, but and you think about it, and like, how would they know? So anyway, but she was mildly injured. That is true. And they said, so sh the thing is, we're going to collect some money from Mrs. Nice. Remember, no one, nobody likes Mrs. Nice. Nice by name, not by nature, right? We're going to collect some money from Mrs. Nice, and uh, we need two volunteers. Now, I don't know if any of you are school teachers here, and you know the names of the, like, the, the naughty kids, right? So at this point, they said, uh, do we have two volunteers to collect money from Mrs. Nice? And I said to Ollie, get your hand up, man. Go, get so we put our hands up, we're like, yep, yep, we'll do it. At which point the whole school and all of the teachers look at us. And my teacher friends have said at that point, everybody's like, that was them. They clearly, <laughs> clearly tried to blow up the school and now they're just trying to like make it better by confess, you know, anyway, so we're like, yeah, well, we'll, co we'll collect the money. And they're like, great. And the headmaster was like, oh, that's amazing. What a lovely boys they are. So. We collected the money for Mrs. Nice, and then eventually they said, hey, you know, Simon and your friend, whose name I'm not going to say again, they were like, Simon, uh, you, um, you need to come with us uh, when we, because you collected so much money. They bought like a vase or something, like a, a vase, and they had some flowers, and they said, we're going to present Mrs. Nice with the vase and the flowers, and we'd like you to be there. That would be nice if you were there. So we're like, yeah, great. So we end up going to present Mrs. Nice where she was uh, with the vase and the flowers. And when we turn up there, there is a photographer from the local newspaper <laughs> because they're going to write a news story about this. So there's me on one side and Ollie on the other side. And the headmaster and we're presenting Mrs. Nice. There you go, this glass thing. And my parents were very proud of me because <laughs> what a good kid I finally become. And uh, yeah, so that was a nice moment. And it was good, you know, because they're not usually very proud of me because I'm not a troublemaker. But I was always in trouble. <laughs>
Happily, or unhappily, depending on your perspective, Simon is not in prison. No, he's in Paris, and he is regularly at the cafe. Uh, he runs tours at the cafe, actually, so you could even come and meet him and take a tour with him, get him to show you around the city. All right, time for story number two, told by Charlotte Pleasance. Another friend. She's great. In fact, Charlotte's going to be here hosting with me uh, in this season of the podcast. So you will be meeting her again. But for now, here's her story, recorded at the same event as Simon's. Okay. Hello. <laughs> I'm 21. It's 2014. <laughs> I'm in New Zealand. Just finished my studies. I'm out for dinner with some of my greatest friends at the time, actually my flatmates. And we've kind of gone for a sort of more um, high-end dinner for us at the time, if you will. And we're, we're sat there, we're getting comfortable, we're perusing the menu, looking at the beautiful seasonal food that's on offer. And I look up at my friend, Alex, who sat opposite me. She looks like she's seen a ghost. I'm like, what? What is it? She's like, don't everybody look now. Charlotte, don't turn around, because I'm definitely one of those people who's like, what? What? Um, don't everybody look now. But and it, you're not going to believe this, but Judith Collins has sat just has sat down right behind you. And I'm taken right back to being in the car with my family on long car journeys across the country. Uh, being from New Zealand, to kind of get anywhere you have to drive for quite a while. And I'm from the bottom of the North Island, uh, and all the cool, beautiful stuff is, tends to be at the top of the North Island. Um, and every summer, we'd go camping, normally up north. So we'd take, <coughs> we'd take the car for long drives up north. And uh, so we got quite familiar with the road, and whenever there was a, a new road uh, along the a normally like seven to ten hour journey. Um, <laughs> uh, my sister and I would say, oh, well, this is new, new infrastructure. And my dad would, would call to the two of us in the back seat and would say, okay, and, and who built this new road, girls? And we'd say, the great and good Labour-led government. <laughs> <laughs> like, it still stands to this day. It's a running thing in the family. My, fa my parents are steadfast lefties. And uh, my dad worked for uh, worked in Helen Clark's office, who was the prime minister at the time. And this was really cool for my sister and I, um, because whenever we got to visit our dad at work, we got to go to the Beehive, which is hilariously what we in New Zealand call the Parliament, <laughs> because it's in the shape of a beehive. <laughs> One of the many cute and charming things about New Zealand. Um, and so that was a great time, but then tragedy struck my family and the country because the National Party was elected into power. <laughs> it was really loud. Um, <laughs> so that was really scary. Um, and my dad ultimately lost his job. But the National Party was in power and this was filled with what I would argue slimy, <laughs> evil politicians. <laughs> uh, 
and one of the most untrustworthy of the untrustworthy politicians was Judith Collins. Anyway, my dad gets a job in ministerial housing. He's in charge of all the houses across the country for all the different politicians. And he's tinkering away at this job, managing all these different houses. Whereas I am 16 and I'm trying to figure out who I am. I am sucked into my own world and I am unaware entirely of what is going on in my father's world. Um, turns out it's not very good. Um, so at the time, there was a blog post that was written about my dad um, by a right-wing blogger. Um, and at the time, blog posts were a really big thing. They were kind of like the Twitter of nowadays. It's 2010, you don't have social media so much at this point. So blogs are really big. Everyone's on them. And this blog uh, wrote my dad out to be this snitch for the Labour Party that was an insider and snitching. And he was entirely unfounded, entirely wrong. And he was basically used as a scapegoat for this particular situation. And as anything with the internet, as it is now and as it was then, you have a lot of people reading these things. And a lot of hate came out in the comments of this blog post. Um, not very nice ones, turns out. And I quote, the prick should be sacked immediately. Can we get the Pratt harpooned? If <laughs> it, I don't know if I can swear, if it, shoot him, fuck it, <laughs> shoot him and his wife and his kids. Lastly, cut the bastard's throat. Pretty harsh stuff. I followed up with my dad recently and I was asking him about these particular things. And he said, yeah, it wasn't just actually comments uh, on that blog post. I actually got people texting and calling me. And I said, oh, what did, what did people say, Dad? And he was like, Charlotte, I don't think I will actually ever tell you specifically what these people said, but I'll just say that they weren't just threatening me. So at this time, I am entirely, again, unaware of this. They go to the police. Some of these comments are removed. And it's sort of dealt with at that time. A few years later, in 2014, a big book comes out called Dirty Politics. And uh, the book basically outlines the corruption within the National Party, um, that there was this concerted effort to target civil servants, like my father, um, who they assumed were still loyal to the Labour government. My dad was included, and there was an entire chapter dedicated to him um, this blog post, the comments, the, the following police, uh, everything that happened there. And we found out how my dad's name was linked to this particular blogger. Because at the time, we were thinking, how did this random right-wing blogger decide that this random civil servant who managed the houses was behind this particular really random thing? So, it's at this time that I learn and the country learns that a woman named Judith Collins leaked my dad's name uh, to this right-wing blogger. Judith Collins, who was also, at the time, the justice minister. And so, this is when I learn that the woman responsible for all this drama, for all this stress, is Judith Collins. This wo the woman that is responsible for ultimately uh, the death threats to my father, to my mother, to my sister, and to myself is Judith Collins. 
and she sat right behind me at this restaurant. And so I'm there, my friend Alex has sat opposite me. We're, we're figuring out what we should do. I'm filled with adrenaline, I'm texting my mom. She's saying, Charlotte, don't say anything, don't say anything. I'm like, I'm, so, I'm saying something. <laughs> and so, but I'm like, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna be cool about it, we're gonna be cool. I'm like, okay, what I'm gonna do is I'll go up to her once she's, uh, when she's going up to pay and I'll just, I'll just say something quick. And so I'm like, okay, Alex, you let me know when, uh, when Judith is going up to pay and I'll, I'll go up and follow her. So we're, we're eating our meal, we're kind of finishing up and we're almost done and Alex gives me, gives me the look. She's like, she's going, she's on the move, she's on the move. I'm like, okay, I'll get up. I'm starting to walk towards her and it's going through my mind at this point. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I am 21 years old and I am about to go and speak to the Justice Minister of New Zealand and tell her off. So I go up to her, I tap her on the shoulder. I say, hello, Judith Collins. Um, my name is Charlotte Pleasance. I'm Simon Pleasance's daughter. And I just wanted to put a face to the name of the death threats that my family received due to your actions. I hope you're disappointed in yourself. I turn and I leave. Charlotte, as I said before, will be joining me in the studio uh, very soon. So you'll be hearing more from her. Spillingthebeans.fr. Check it out. You'll find all sorts of goodies on there, links to other podcast episodes. The first three episodes are already available and there will be more to come. I'll be releasing them fortnightly. What else do I have to say to you? Nothing, really. I should just let you get on with your day. Or your night. I don't know what time you listen. Anyway, that's Spilling the Beans. See you next time. I'm Jasper Foley, by the way. <laughs>